Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, December 19th. In today's news, Obamacare suffers a significant defeat in court. India clamps down hard on mass protests, and the Democratic candidates for president will debate tonight in California. But first, the big idea. The House of Representatives voted last night to impeach President Trump on charges that he abused his office and obstructed Congress, branding an indelible mark on the most turbulent presidency of modern times. After 11 hours of fierce debate on the House floor over Trump's conduct with Ukraine, lawmakers voted almost entirely along party lines to impeach him. Trump becomes the third president in U.S. history to face trial in the Senate. On Trump's 1,062nd day in office, Congress brought a momentous reckoning to an unorthodox president who has tested America's institutions with an array of unrestrained actions, including some that a collection of his own appointees and other government witnesses testified were reckless and endangered our national security. All Republicans voted against both articles. Only three Democrats broke ranks. A fourth presidential candidate, Tulsi Gabbard, voted present both times because she said Trump should be censured instead of impeached. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi framed the day's proceedings through the long lens of history, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance and singling out the line, the Republic for which it stands. She wore black, and she hushed some of her members when they started to applaud after the vote to impeach. She wore a brooch that was a replica of the Mace of the Republic, the symbol for the power of the House. After last night's votes, Pelosi left open the possibility of delaying a procedural step that triggers the Senate trial, saying that she might not name the House impeachment managers and formally deliver the articles to the Senate unless Republicans, specifically Mitch McConnell, establish a fair process. She says what Republicans are talking about now, including calling no witnesses, is not fair. In doing this, Pelosi is effectively attempting to gain some leverage over the Senate's process for weighing the charges against the president. Wednesday's actions punctuated a quarter century of increasingly poisonous partisanship here in Washington, one that arguably began during Bill Clinton's presidency, was extended with rebellions against Presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama, and is culminating in the Trump era. The intensity and polarization of the debate on the House floor vividly illustrated the extent to which leaders of the two parties now believe entirely different accounts of what occurred and are motivated by very different concerns. At times, they sounded almost as if they were representing different countries. Democrats characterized Trump as an immediate threat to the nation he was elected to lead, casting his actions as an unprecedented affront to American values. Republicans denounced those charges as unsubstantiated and called the process illegitimate, repeatedly accusing the Democrats of seeking to illegally overturn the results of the last election. Just before the House voted, Trump took the stage for a rally in Michigan, where he rallied 10,000 supporters at a sports arena in Battle Creek. It was a muscular display of his political potency, even at the historic low point of his presidency. It was the end of a day of hyperbole. Trump got the ball rolling by saying that he was being treated worse than the people who got burned at the stake and drowned during the Salem witch trials. Congressman Barry Loudermilk from Georgia, a Republican, declared that Trump was given less due process than Pontius Pilate granted Jesus Christ before his crucifixion. 
Fred Keller, a Republican from Pennsylvania, also invoked Jesus's crucifixion, specifically when Christ on the cross asked God to forgive those who had wronged him. He read on the floor from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verse 34, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's a reflection of the cult of personality. And then a few minutes later, Mike Kelly, the Republican from Pennsylvania, said Trump's impeachment was more akin to Pearl Harbor, noting that Franklin Roosevelt was standing in the same chamber when he called December 7th, 1941, a day that would live in infamy. Kelly said December the 18th, 2019 is, quote, another date that will live in infamy. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that shouldn't be totally overlooked because of impeachment. Number one, an appeals court ruled last night that the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate is unconstitutional, sending back to a lower court the question of whether the rest of the law can remain without it. The long-awaited decision by a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit has little immediate practical effect on consumers because Congress already has removed the penalty for people who flout the insurance requirement. But the panel's two-to-one ruling leaves the rest of the sprawling statute in limbo, catapulting questions of insurance coverage and consumer health care protections to the forefront of the 2020 presidential and congressional campaigns. The panel's one Democratic appointee dissented from the 98-page opinion, writing that the Republican states challenging the law lack standing to do so. If they did, she wrote, she would find the mandate is constitutional. The Fifth Circuit's decision almost certainly means that the health care law will need to come before the Supreme Court once again for a third time. California Attorney General Javier Becerra, leading a coalition of his Democratic counterparts who are fighting to preserve the law, said last night that he's preparing to ask the high court to take the case before a lower court in Texas decides again. But by sending a thorny legal question back to the Texas jurist who already has held the entire law to be unconstitutional, The judges on the circuit in New Orleans may effectively slow the progress of the case so that the high court does not end up taking it up during the current term and then waits to decide until after the elections next November. Number two, Indian authorities clamp down hard on demonstrations against a contentious citizenship law. They're shutting down Internet access and they're detaining protesters in mass. A coalition of civil society groups called for rallies across the country to voice opposition to this new law, which opponents say is discriminatory and violates India's constitution. The law creates a fast track to citizenship for migrants from six religions who arrived in India by 2014, but it excludes Muslims from being able to do so. In Delhi, hundreds of peaceful protesters gathered near one of the city's major monuments to begin a march. But police imposed a measure that forbids gatherings of four or more people, effectively making the protests illegal. Police then detained all the protesters and took them away in buses. Internet service, as I mentioned, continues to be suspended in the city. India leads the world in the number of Internet shutdowns. Authorities say they're a way to prevent violence and unrest. But that's not something a healthy democracy does. Protests have erupted against the law in recent days, and some are indeed turning violent. On Sunday, police stormed a university campus in Delhi, striking unarmed students and firing tear gas into the library. The protests are the most sustained show of opposition to Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi since he came to power in 2014. Number three, seven Democratic presidential candidates will face off tonight in Los Angeles during a debate sponsored by PBS and Politico. 
The televised contest ahead of Christmas will bring seven rivals, the smallest group yet, to heavily Democratic California, which is the biggest prize of the primary season, home to one in eight Americans. Coming one day after impeachment, the debate will underscore the paramount concern for most Democratic voters. Who is best equipped to defeat Trump in November? It could turn out to be the least watched debate so far. In fact, Remarkably, viewership has declined pretty significantly in each round through the five debates. There will be a notable lack of diversity on stage compared with the earlier debates. For the first time this cycle, there will not be an African-American or Latino candidate on stage. Cory Booker and Julian Castro, still in the race, did not qualify. On stage will be Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, Andrew Yang, and Tom Steyer. Conspicuously missing from the lineup will be former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg, who cannot qualify because he's not accepting campaign donations, which is one of the threshold requirements. Last night, in a pre-debate snub, more than 200 alumni of Barack Obama's administration endorsed Warren over Biden. Biden countered by announcing support from more than 100 faith leaders in South Carolina, most of them African-Americans and many of them former backers of Kamala Harris. And the Sanders campaign announced that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic freshman from New York, a member of the squad, will keynote a Spanish-language town hall for him this weekend to highlight his support among Latinos. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, December 19th. Thank you for listening. I'm James Holman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment process, you can subscribe to a podcast feed from The Washington Post with all our updates in one place including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. Find it at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. 